Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Uh, Happy New Year, Seattle. We are back and live right here in the palace of the KVI studios. I am Christopher Chan, your advanced sommelier, soon-to-be master sommelier, who uh, will take you on a journey about wine, food, beer, cider, spirits, cocktails, uh, education, and events from all around the world. Thanks for tuning in. If you ever miss a show, we have a website called happyhourradio.net, and of course, our Facebook page, or if you're a tweeter, check us out at Happy HR Radio. Um, gosh, we got those news resolutions. We've got uh, perhaps uh, some bills to pay, some pounds to uh, sh- to shed, and uh, still life to live because it's a new year. We've got all got a great chance to enjoy the world of wine today. Um, I've never had. I don't drink every wine. I've had uh, Franzi in the box. I've had uh, Mogan David. I've had. Uh, uh, I haven't had Thunderbird, but I've had Boone's Farm. Um, but there's some wines that I hadn't been attracted to. So this is a real treat for me. Uh, there's a brand called The Federalist, and uh, this was uh, an American winery from California that is um, really sort of recognizing our historical past, our leadership, some of our presidential peeps, and uh, some cat named Aaron Burr. I guess he might have been vice president. Um, but I've got uh, Mr. Dan Dunn, and Dan Dunn is uh, a, a journalist who has written for uh, Playboy and uh, Rob Report. He's also the author of American Wino, which uh, is a really cool book about his travels around America and drinking wine. Plus, Reds, Whites, and One Man's Blues. Uh, um, He is uh, the guy behind uh, one of these brands, The Federalist, and Dan Dunn. Hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, excited because uh, there is some wine here that I haven't tried, and I, I've never been a big Zinfandel fan to say. But the one Zinfandels we taste in our sommelier groups is Dry Creek, and I think that is the the epitome of what we're supposed to know as uh, true Zinfandel. Of course, there's plenty in Paso, there's plenty all over in Lodi and Amador, etc. Um, but you also have a red blend. Uh, before I get onto that, let's talk about you, Dan Dunn. When did you first write about wine? Well, I started off, uh, as you mentioned, I was a, uh, writing about uh, adult beverages uh, for probably going on 20 years now. Um, I, used to write a, I used to write a column for, uh, there's a chain of free uh, daily newspapers called the Metro, uh, in New York and Philly and Boston, all over. And I wrote a column for them called the Imbiber, which was sort of a humor column about drinking. Uh, and that got pretty popular and then Playboy came and sort of stole me away from Metro and I was writing it for them for, for a few years. Um, went ahead, went on and wrote a book, uh, called living loaded, which was sort of a lot of reference to that time writing for Playboy. Wow. And, uh, that actually got made into a, a TV pilot for Fox, uh, with, uh, Donald Sutherland was in it. Larry Wilmore it didn't get picked up. So. I have now. I just have a very expensive home movie that I get to watch, uh, <laughs> pilot. Um, and then, uh, so what happened with with wine and, and sort of my, you know, I'd, I'd had wine before. Uh, my my first sort of aha moment with wine, where I thought, well, this is really good, <clears throat> was about ten years ago. I got a call. Uh, you know, this is when I was still writing for Playboy. And do I want to meet up with this winemaker here in Santa Monica? He was going to be in Santa Monica. This guy named Pierre Ceylon. Uh, you know, are you familiar with Pierre? Pierre he makes Verite, 
up in. Oh Canada. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's part of the Kendall Jackson. So I went, you know, and these are, you know, these are routinely. Is he the winemaker from, from uh, France that is doing it, or is he? He is. That's yeah, right. Yeah. He's from France, so, so he makes wine in Sonoma, but also Chateau Lesseg. I think and, it's called Chateau Lesseg. Chateau Lesseg, and yeah. then he has another one that he makes down in. Um, in Italy for, for KJ. So anyway, I, you know, I go there and I, I try these wines and they're pretty amazing. And I, wow, this is good stuff. So I start drinking it, but I, it was always sort of the, uh, my Achilles heel. I, I know, you know, I know sky, I know whiskey in and out. I know rum in and out, but wine, I didn't know so much. So, uh, we need to this, dip this you in a big vat. That's what we need to do. Dip you in the vat. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I had written a, um, so what happened was my, and not to bring down the mood too much, but my, my, my brother died, a younger brother. And so he, he died. And then I met a woman on the plane back from his funeral. We end up together for a few years. That relationship ends. I'm at a sort of a crossroads in my life and I'm writing, I was drinking wine at my house and I was drinking a lot of it. Yep. <laughs> and I thought, what am I going to do next? And the idea was, you know, I'm going to just drink more wine. And this idea popped into my head. I'm going to, I'm going to have all the wine in America. So I wrote that down on a notepad, all the wine in America. Sober up the next day, and I Google wine in America, and that's when I discovered that wine is made in every state in the U.S., which was kind of – I had no idea. So that's where the seeds were planted, and, and really what happened was I, I kind of felt like I needed to get out of L.A. and just clear my head. And, uh, you know, the, the Philadelphia Inquirer ended up describing the book as um, Eat, Pray, Love, Meet Sideways While on the Road. So ah. I went on the road – ostensibly to become the the leading expert on wine in America, but really it was kind of to fix myself. So I spent four months <laughs> uh, driving, driving by myself. I started in, uh, in Northern California. I started in Sonoma and Napa and then moved up through Oregon and Washington state. And then I dropped off the cliff of, of uh, good wine into, <laughs> into big sky country. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, but they don't, it's not the best wine in the world in Montana and Wyoming. <laughs> and, and, but, uh, you know, but then I went all through the middle of the country and back and, you know, it was kind of surprising. Uh, I, you know, when I got to the East coast, like Virginia was making really great wine, even in North Carolina, the, you know, the Finger Lakes in New York, and then Texas, you know, it's yeah, crazy. Texas, I mean, it, Rhode Island, I, yeah, Maryland, it, it, Arizona, Arizona, you know, yeah, some really good stuff. And so, you know, it was a real fantastic experience uh, to get to go. And, and, you know, wine was the through line of the, of the, of the, you know, the story, but just to see people doing it and, and you know, everywhere, like I, places in, you know, family farms in Wyoming that converted to making wine and, and it was really beautiful. It was really a great uh, experience. And then I wrote the book. Well, hey, tell me quickly, um, what grapes were they growing in Montana and in Wyoming? Were those uh, basically so, American so, varieties? You know, what would happen? So, for instance, in Wyoming, Wyoming has the fewest wineries in the country. There's four of them. And I went to two of them. So <laughs> they were importing some stuff. Obviously, they, they were importing some grapes from, from the West Coast. But the stuff that they were making homegrown... I mean, everything from like choke berries. So they were using fruit, not necessarily. Uh, in terms of grapes, what you would find mostly in the middle of the country was, you know, a lot of hybrid stuff like the front and back grapes and stuff like that that are, you know, uh, grapes that were specifically engineered, uh, usually at like the University of Minnesota or stuff like that, to uh, to be able to survive. So uh, the cold the temperatures Nebraska, there, that's what they wanted to survive. They yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I had a. Um, I had a uh, it was went to a place in Nebraska that actually had a uh, called um, 
I can't remember the name of it, but it had, uh, it had some really good, like, some of these grapes Corn were something. okay, you know. Uh, oh, it was called Maletta, Maletta Vista uh, was the name of the, uh, the winery. And do you know, uh, you might, you're up that way. Do you know a guy named Christopher Sawyer? Oh, yeah, I know uh, Chris. Yeah, 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 he's out in San Chris, Francisco. So, or, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so Chris was the one that told me about this place. Um, and I went, I went to Maletta Vista, and it's called Maletta because it's Mick and Loretta. Get it? Uh-huh. There you go. Uh, and uh, I went there, and they had this wine that uh, that had been entered into a, a competition up in Sonoma, and it won. It was one of the winners, and it was from Nebraska. And wow. uh, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of cool. So, um, but the, again, all hybrid stuff. And uh, it's both an know, honor and a curse because now you have to <laughs> make it a winning wine every year. Uh, yeah, right. You know, it's, it's it's interesting. But uh, the, all that said, I mean, I'm not. It's not. I'm not going to forsake my uh, my California wines or Oregon or Washington wines anytime soon. But uh, you know, one of the things too, as you know, Chris, is it's experiential wine. So when you're sitting in a winery, a beautiful winery in North Georgia, and you're sipping on, uh, you know, like a, a Cabernet Franc, I'm thinking, man. This is some fantastic Cabernet Franc because you know I'm in Georgia, I'm on the road. It feels great. I'm I'm with these really cool people that I just met, you know. And then they send me a couple of bottles, and I have and I'm back here in California, Oops. and you know, and I try it next to something from say the Central Coast, and yeah, maybe it's not as great, but they're getting there, you know. And um, and you know also with the way things are going right now in this country and the government's non-support for the environmental stuff, like that'll probably be coastal area pretty soon. So uh, <laughs> maybe it'll, you know, you're going to see a shift. But I mean, I'm joking, but in some ways, like, I, you know, I know you have too, I'm sure you've talked to winemakers, like, you know, you're already seeing it now. And so that's going to shift where, you know, where the great wines are coming from, uh, you know, maybe not in my lifetime, but down the road. So, yeah. That's so fun. I just had a little I wine party where we tasted, uh, we just opened up a bottle of Kincaid Estate, which is out of Ohio. Um, Kincaid. Yeah, Kincaid, uh, 2004 Cabernet Sauvignon. It was it was good. It it's probably couldn't last that long. And we had a wine from uh, Virginia as well uh, for a big tasting. But you are the uh, one of the promoters of the Federalist. Let's talk about this brand. Yeah, sure. Uh, I see you have a Zinfandel, you've got uh, a red blend, and the story behind it is? Behind the, behind the Federalist? Oh, yeah. You wanted to recognize yeah. some of our uh, American heritage leadership? Yeah, you know, so, you know, one of the cool things, and, and you, you referenced this earlier, so if you, if you get a bottle of the, uh, if you get a bottle of the Federalist, you're going to see that they've got uh, pictures of presidents on there, there's, a, you know, Jefferson, is on the cover, uh, one one of the labels. Uh, you got Franklin on one of them, uh, and and that's sort of the vibe they're going for. They're they're pushing. They want to sort of be the yellow tail uh, of America, okay? <laughs> um, and uh, you know maybe better, better, better than that. I, I, be careful what I say. Yellow tail uh, reserve. So you know one of the th- one of the things people might not know about this is so you know wine in this country. Thomas Jefferson was a an absolutely key uh, figure in in developing wine in this country. So he had started a, uh, a company called the Virginia Wine Company, okay? the Virginia Wine Making Company. Okay? Wow. Uh, and this was two years before we were even America. Okay? And uh, the idea was he had fallen, when he went to the William & Mary in recent college, he, he fell in love with wine there. Uh, he had some, he had a professor that had turned him on and, you know, to Vinifera and, and these old world wines, and he fell in love with it. And he became convinced that you could do this 
uh, in the United States, right? So um, he, uh, I think it was like 1773, this Italian winemaker had come through Monticello, which is where he lived back in Virginia, and this guy named Philip Mazai, and Jefferson meets him and convinces this guy, who's a winemaker, to to help cultivate uh, the grapes at Monticello. And basically what Jefferson promised him uh, was some land of his own, you know, if he would help out. And uh, uh, as I referred to it, uh, he also had the uh, uncompensated workforce back then that he was able to use to help plant these things. So the guy plants these grapes, right? And he's got, it's all there. And, and, uh, but as you know, 1774 ish, there was some other stuff going on with Jefferson. And, and by the way, one of the other investors in this winemaking company was George Washington. They got busy with something else, okay? Hey, and we got uh, one minute for a break, had... so give me some uh, – sh- oh, yeah. we'll tease it for the next part. So uh, you've got Washington and Jefferson are uh, co-conspirators yeah. in this wine thing, huh? <laughs> in the wine thing, and, and then they have to go off and take care of this Revolutionary War thing. This guy, Mazai, they dispatch him to Italy to go get raise, help raise money for the cause. Yes. And while he's gone – he lets this Prussian general stay uh, at uh, the uh, the vineyard, and that turned out to be a bad idea. And I can tell you what happened <laughs> with that afterwards, and how that changed uh, uh, what would happen with. Grapes That's a great tease. Yeah. I love that yeah, you're a so. pro. Hey, speaking with Dan Dunn, the author of American Wino and Red Whites and One Man's Blues, uh, he's a former columnist for Playboy and now the Rob Report. Uh, he's an author and a journalist, and he is representing the Federalist, which is uh, some California juice. I got two bottles here, so we're going to take a little break and oh wait no we've got a little more time all right so let's finish that conversation there uh dan okay. go ahead so so this this hessian general uh you know they they maybe basically airbnb in the place you know and which is funny you're probably thinking to yourself like this guy's a prisoner of war this general and the fact that he was able to rent out this plush virginia plantation uh <laughs> was i guess just further proof that when you're rich you can do whatever you want, white right? collar so, right anyway <laughs> Yeah, so so he in a development pretty much everyone could have seen coming. It turns out that Mazai Airbnb in this place to this opposition general was not a great idea, and the general, uh, in, in a truly impressively uh, you know uh, a hole move, we can say that on the radio, right? Uh, he pastures his horses in these vineyards. Too okay? funny. All right, hold Mazai. that thought. Now we got to go. Yep. Hey, folks, I got Dan Dunn. He's got a great story about the Federalist wines and more. Stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, Happy New Year. Hope you got uh, that great list of things you're going to accomplish and be successful and happy and healthy and fit and all of that. And then uh, you're ready to open up some wine when that doesn't go quite the right way. And I got the right guy on the line here. His name is Dan Dunn. He is an author. Uh, he's the American Wino author, uh, a book about his travels and tribulations of uh, going through America and checking all the wines. Uh, today he is uh, representing a brand called The Federalist. Now, we were just chatting about uh, the Virginia Wine Company, winemaking company. We had uh, Thomas Jefferson. We had George Washington as investors. Uh, probably some insider trading, I'm thinking. But uh, we ta- also have a Prussian general who now is staying at Monticello, and he actually has some horses which are probably fertilizing the vineyard. Is that right, Dan? 
Well, the horses. Uh, so Jefferson uh, wrote, uh, you know, in, and he wrote in one of his journals that uh, it, in one week these horses destroyed the labor of three or four years. Okay, and so the Virginia Wine Company would never produce a single bottle of wine. <laughs> uh, of course, setting a new standard of productivity that the government officials been trying to live up to ever since. So uh, the good news uh, is the Americans won the war nice. and they paved the way for Jefferson. Jefferson went over and he succeeded succeeded uh, Ben Franklin as French minister. And so when he was in France, he, uh, he did a, a ton of historical documentation about wine, okay, which he then brought back. And that kind of laid the groundwork uh, for pushing towards these drier, lower alcohol wines that are favored by the French and Italians. As opposed to you know what we were doing back then, what they were the syrupy high test plunk that the British like, you know, so right, fortified, uh, that sweet, sort of laid the groundwork for you know wine in this country. Well, hey Dan, um, hey and, Dan, uh, here's a little yeah. story too. Um, several okay. years ago, I had uh, the winemaker for Fontarutoli uh, from Italy, and they got the I think it was okay. Macedo, and they made the Jefferson label, and they have a George Washington label based on the same story. Unbelievable. Yeah. See? I thought great that mind, was super minds, cool. <laughs> Excellent. So, <laughs> so we've got, uh, what year are we in now? We're in the 1800s? <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah, exactly. That was, no, that was still 1700s. I think in the 1800s, you mentioned Ohio earlier. There was a guy in Ohio that's sort of credited with uh, being the first person to really cultivate uh, vinif- viniferous successfully in the United States. Sure. Um, and I can't remember his name. But well, hey. the Ohio River Valley was the first American viticultural area established. Of course, it's like 1,100 miles long or something. <laughs> so it's not oh, quite okay. as... So t- do you remember this guy's name? I, I don't remember his name, name but uh, there was... Uh, we, we talk about um, Herezithi, who came up from New York to uh, California, and he started this whole variety thing, labeling wines by varieties. Uh, and that's kind of how we started then. Because I don't know what they labeled it back then. Did What were some of the names? It was just like Monticello's Blend or something? Or maybe it wasn't because they didn't make any wine. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, you know, it, I mean, like I said, they never actually produced it there. They had they'd grown it, but um, uh, they, I don't know. I mean, what was, you know, there was there was a, um, there was a really popular grape in, that was cultivated in Ohio that I can't. Norton, Catawba, uh, uh, well, Baco yeah, Noir. The Catawba, yeah. Uh, the Norton grape, okay, is grown all over uh, Virginia. The East Coast, uh, yeah. This is actually kind of a funny story there. there. There's a winemaker in northern Virginia at a place uh, called Chrysalis is the winemaker at the winery, and the winemaker's name is Jenny, okay? Jenny, as far as I know, is the, the uh, first or maybe one of the only transgender uh, winemakers in the United States. Jenny used to be a, a, a man and transitioned. Used to okay? be Jerry. <laughs> so now there's this there's this guy down, this guy Gabriel Rouse, is this old Italian guy who works at Monticello, okay? Really funny, but like, you know, he doesn't have a censor. He basically just says whatever he thinks. So uh, Jenny at Chrysalis is we a You know someone like that? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So Jenny at Chrysalis is a huge proponent of the Norton grape and believes, you know, she thinks she's really pushes hard for it, thinks people should be growing this grape, particularly in Virginia, where it does really well. So I'm down at Monticello and I'm talking to to Gabriel Rouse and I ask him what he thinks about the Norton grape and he waves his hand. He's like, I don't don't like it. Don't like it. Don't like it. He said, no. And he doesn't like it. I said, okay. And I mentioned that I had met with Jenny and that, you know, Jenny really um, was pushing this, um, the grape. And he says, ah, she says she likes to, she's doing it to show off. She likes to bring attention to herself. And I said, Oh, that's it? Is that what we're doing? He says, Yeah, she just likes the attention. She's, she was a man 
and then she became a woman just for attention. That's what he said. I go, for attention, huh? <laughs> That's a long way to go. <laughs> wow. Well, that maybe is maybe really she's going to for attention. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> one of the funnier stories on that trip, uh, Gabrielle Rouse. Uh, hey, so let's so. just talk about that book real quick. Did you, what wines are they growing in Florida or what wines are they growing in North Dakota? Well, in, in Florida, for instance, so it's all, you know, anything that they're growing locally, if they're not importing the grapes, is almost always going to be a hybrid uh, a hybrid grape, uh, usually white wines, sweeter wines. Right. Uh, there's a variety of them that they have. Uh, you know, and, and then on the red side, you know, you're getting, if you're talking about like North Dakota, stuff like that, you're going to see like grapes, like the front neck is one of the grapes that, sure. uh, that, uh, but you know, every once in a while you'll find, you know, some grapes that work and they actually turn out. And I was in a place in Shelburne, uh, Vermont that was really doing, uh, it was doing some good stuff with some hybrid grapes and uh you know but for the most part i mean look you know you, you there's a reason that uh you know, you know they're not making frontenac or marquette or la crescent in uh in california because they can grow cabernet sauvignon they can we can grow pinot and we get and these are these are the the noble grapes the best grapes for for wine but but you do get like there's a thing like saval blanc i believe saval blanc, is one of the, yep. the grapes yeah, and then um, uh, I just brought up Marquette. Vidal Blanc is another one. Vidal, yeah, um, I got yeah, it. The front neck is the one I encountered. I encountered a lot uh, when I was there, and then you've. Uh, but then you're getting these. Uh, what's the real Muscadine? <laughs> what's that one? Yeah, yeah, that's you get it. Some of those wines going <laughs> down in down in the south, and they like that stuff, boy. They really like that. Stuff. Well, all the grapes in uh, outside of some of the great states of New York and Washington, Oregon, California, perhaps Arizona, they have to deal with cold temperatures and typically humid weather, which tends to uh, get wines or grapes to rot, and that's the toughest part. Um, but we have some California grapes here. It's time to talk about the Federalist Zinfandel. This is Alexander Hamilton on the label. Um, this comes from Dry Creek Valley, and uh, it's pretty sharp label. I like it, although, of course, with these times, <laughs> they tend to make tennis think about uh, a little political idealist here, but the Federalists, um, we are a federation of, we're a republic, right? So this probably makes sense. Yes. T- tell me about this Zinfandel. Well, this one, so you have the, uh, which one do you have? You, you've got the... Uh, Zinfandel and the red blend aged in bourbon barrels. So the Zinfandel is first up, and I'll, uh, it's the 2015, a uh, little picture of Hamilton okay. there. Looks like a $20 bill. Okay, got that, yeah. Um, so that one, you know, that one, they, 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 they're getting those grapes from the Dry Creek Valley, uh, uh and uh, the uh, I it's about fifty. I mean, this one these these pack a little punch to them. That's probably what about fifteen percent alcohol to That's, that one. Yep, sure um, does. But yeah, they uh, had malolactic on that. I think about 16, 16 months in 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 oak barrels, and then finished as you said. And you we were talking about this off air. You're starting to see that trend now, where they're starting to finish wines in whiskey barrels, uh, and uh, because it brings uh, it sort of brings, I guess, a little bit more richness. You could, I don't want to use necessarily use the word sweet, but it's it's bringing a little bit more flavor to it that you wouldn't generally associate. You know, earlier when I mentioned those dry wines from Europe, these these are the opposite of that, and that's and you're and you're trying to appeal to people's palates. That I would say probably a more of an American type palate, people that aren't necessarily. Sophisticated wine drinkers. Yeah, well, you know, some people turn away from tannin and acidity. It's it's sharp or it's bitter. So, 
Uh, everyone th- barely likes things that are smooth, perhaps ripe. And we think about ripe fruit. We also think about sweetness. And um, Zinfandel ha- tends to have a little residual sugar because it's uh, it's a very aggressive cluster. It grows big, but some doesn't. Uh, the grapes don't always ripen, but some get super ripe. So it's just real blend. You get a, a shade of colors, a spectrum: red, blue, purple. Um, I took a taste. It by is the def- way, I'm, I'm realizing now when I'm talking to you that I was. You, I, I'm now realizing you you've got. The different Zinfandel in front of you than the one I was thinking. The one you have in front of you now, those grapes are Mendocino County, and those and those that was in Oak for American Oak for six months. No, it says Dry months. Creek, Sonoma. So we're, you're right the first time. Um, but I'm going to say oh that God, this, this yeah. is a this is a tasty wine because it's not syrupy sweet, um, and the acid's not so out of balance. Uh, I I would drink this. It's certainly a warmer. This is good for sitting down in the, by the fireplace and having any kind of food, perhaps some stew or some chili, things like that. Uh, um, some heavy game bird, um, and also you'll have a good feeling at the end. So that's tasty. What do these wines cost typically? Twenty bucks. Well, the price point, yeah, under twenty dollars. Excellent. Uh, the well, so some of you know you're going to get so that okay that barrel aged Zinfandel I believe is right around twenty twenty one dollars you know for that one, uh, and then you've got you know the you said you got the red blend there as well. Yeah, I'm going to taste the red blend. Yeah. So do you know what the Sapage is here? That's about well, the, the first of all, the, the, the cost on that red blend is probably about twenty bucks. Okay, so they're all right in that right in that range, you know. Um, and then uh, are you tasting that one now? By the I way, am. what's wrong with this picture? You're uh, drinking wine, and I'm not. <laughs> this is what's wrong with this picture, man. Uh, we just got a, we got less than a minute, so quickly. This is aged in, in bourbon barrels for six months. Um, tell me what the flavors come from that. What flavors come from the bourbon barrels? Uh, you know, I, I what I tend to get from it is just a, sort of this density of, of like it makes to me it makes the fruit seem fruitier. If that you know, it's it's you're gonna you're gonna really taste the grapes on this one. It's it's to, and it also brings you know a, a, a nice sweetness to it for me. Not not dessert wine sweetness, but makes it you know just it feels big and I'm impressed. Rusty. Hey Dan, yeah. what's the website? It's federalistwine.com. Ah, that's super easy. Love it, him. Thanks, pal. Where did they come up with that? <laughs> hey, folks, stick around. We'll be right back. He's live. He's local. He's all Northwest. Lars Larson. Weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, Seattle, welcome back. Time for round three. And again, Happy New Year. If you uh, made a long list of resolutions, I'm sure one of them might include diet, exercise, eating better, drinking better, or (laughs) eating and drinking less. Who knows? Um, But there's a product that came across my desk uh, in the fall, and I I checked it out. I was really impressed by how good it tastes. It's a a sparkling water. Um, It's a supplement. It has uh, some cool things inside of it, but there's no sugar. It has a little essence of fruit. And it's uh, it was invented to help uh, pre-diabetic people uh, s- s- recover from those sugar spikes you get um, when your insulin peaks. And um, I remember working at the Rainer Club, having an espresso with a little vanilla and then a cookie at 2 o'clock. And by 2.40, I was ready to take a nap. So that's what a sugar spike does. gives you a quick little buzz, and then it crashes. And I happen to have um, the two founders, uh, or actually the CEO and co-founder Bjorn Oste and Dr. Ellen Ostman. Uh, I believe both are Swedish, and they created this product called Good Idea. Hey, Bjorn and Ellen, welcome to Happy Hour. 
Hi, Chris. Thanks for having us. Ex- Hello there. Hello there. Excellent. Well, um, I, I got to admit, this this was a, a product that I wasn't sure if it was really set for our platform here, our media. But then I drank it. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I drink sparkling water a lot. It's probably not the best thing for me with all the carbonic acidity. But this one has a little fruit flavor. It has no sugar. And when I tasted it, it really changed my metabolism. I felt better. And that was unique. Um, uh, so it's, let's talk about it. Bjorn, how did this product good idea come to fruition? Well, Chris, it started with uh, my brother and, uh, and uh, myself having an R&D company. I've been running an R&D company back in Sweden for um, a little bit over 20 years, where we've been looking at developing food products that address uh, health issues, such as the metabolic syndrome and diabetes and whatnot. And, and uh, uh, we uh, built a lot of experience as we developed the company Oatly, which makes oat milk that we're selling all over the U.S. today. Um, and uh, oats has lots of properties in, in, in health aspects. And that led us to look more into blood sugar. And, and we met uh, Dr. Elin and her team scientists at the Lund University that had been studying this uh, phenomenon of, of uh, some natural ingredients and their ability to help regulate blood sugar. And that's how the product Good Idea came about. Well, it sounds quite interesting. Um, how many iterations did you, test trials did you have? Uh, and how long did it take to find the right balance of uh, ingredients? And I know that I'll ask uh, Dr. Allen about which what's actually in there. But tell us, what was your process like? Uh, <clears throat> the process was pretty straightforward. Once you... you uh, Identified the active components, of course, uh, and again, Dr. Ellen can speak much more in detail to this, but it was a question of, of defining the optimal um, uh, uh, amount of the, the ingredients, um, and th- that we did through clinical trials. And once we had d- determined exactly the amount of the active components, we started working with flavoring houses. We had a very clear idea of what we wanted. We wanted a good idea to be a... Um, a very lightly carbonated, lightly flavored water, because that is probably the most natural thing to drink with food anytime. Very cool. Well, let's get Dr. Ellen Ostman online. Doctor, um, tell us what your background is as a scientist. Well, I have my PhD from Lund University, and it's in applied nutrition. And I have spent my whole 20-year career there to look at different food concepts that have an influence on the blood glucose regulation. Ah, very interesting. I'm curious what you, was your dissertation on? My dissertation was actually on the use of uh, organic acids, so like lactic acid and acetic acid, sourdough bread, vinegar, things like that, and how it influences your blood sugar. Oh, okay. Well, this is quite interesting. So let's unveil the product or the uh, components that make up this uh, lovely beverage called Good Idea. What's in it? So we have five specific amino acids. It's, they are the branched-chain amino acids, if you're familiar with those. Yes. Uh, you see them a lot in sports products. And then we have two additional amino acids. And then we have also chromium in the form of chromium picolinate. And we have found this uh, combination to be optimal for uh, regulating your glucose uh, in the time course of one meal. Interesting. So um, how many pr- different amino acids did you consider uh, before finding this perfect combination? We got the combination from looking into the bloodstream, what shows up when you have had whey protein, 
So we, we knew that whey protein had a, a glucose regulating potential and we wanted to explore that further. So we looked in the bloodstream, whatever amino acids turns up when you have taken a dose of whey. And these five that we now have are those showing up most, most rapidly after that intake. So we knew that they were involved in the glucose regulation. I see. And so give us the scientific's background on when I, there was a birthday party and I had a maple bar about 10 minutes ago before, <laughs> a little snack. And it was sweet and in lots of carbos and lots of sugar, but I can tell you I'm already feeling a little fatigued. Now tell us what's going on in my body. Okay. So probably if you take it, the idea with this product is that you take it with your meal, just before and with your meal. That's when you get the best effect. So what happens when you do that is that you actually, with the five amino acids, you spark the insulin release. So uh, the body is ready to take care of the carbs that will start increasing in your blood when you have your maple bar or whatever carbs you're taking. And then the chromium is there to help you use that insulin in an efficient way. So it improves insulin sensitivity. So maybe what you experienced was that you got this effect of the insulin sensitivity. So you got help in clearing out the sugar of your bloodstream more rapidly or more efficiently. I see. And so the insulin uh, helps break down the sugars in our blood. Um, where, where does that sugar go? Is Obviously, insulin, does it create a byproduct? Is there some waste there? I mean, I'm, I'm confused on how the insulin works. No. So insulin is not breaking down anything. Insulin is the key to open up all the cells so the sugar can pass through and go into the cells where it's used for energy. So what we need is just to take care of the, have a well-balanced insulin response to whatever sugar levels you have so you don't overdose. Because if you get a blood sugar spike from something, insulin will be overdosed and you will drop down in blood sugar and you go to this dip that makes you feel really tired and looking for something sweet to eat. <laughs> They got it down. That's uh, that's why they say take a break with a Kit Kat bar and a Snickers. I see. They they already know the science behind it. Well, this is quite interesting. That's right. With good idea, you don't need the Kit Kat anymore. Yeah, that, I, I get that. I like that because uh, that stuff's that too much of the high fructose corn syrup. And does our body break down carbs into glucose or is it, do we break down fructose into glucose and sucrose or what? No. So your body will break down the carbs in, your, uh, in the food to... I mean, ultimately glucose, but actually different disaccharides in the intestine first. So maltose, and then it splits up to, to glucose. Ah. If you eat sucrose, you split it up to glucose and fructose. So they have different fates in the metabolism. And isn't maltose an alcohol? No. No. I'm trying to remember my... Okay, well, let's talk about this product. When was the product launched, Bjorn? We launched it in June of this year uh, in retail here in the U.S. We actually had a little sneak launch online uh, a little earlier, a couple of months earlier. But it's, it really is uh, brand new on the market. And is there, uh, obviously, it's a very simple product. You've got, um, you know, 12 ounces here. It's in a thin can, slender. Uh, it has 10 calories. I was surprised to see that because I only see carbonated water, natural flavor, and citric acid. Where did the 10 calories come from? Well, actually, we uh, we have these free amino acids, which are components of a protein, actually. But we are uh, we can actually uh, label our product with zero calories, since you don't you shouldn't label a product with free amino acids. 
so that will be changed. <laughs> okay, I see that. Uh, so that ten is really a a one and a zero. Uh, well, let's talk about how we can find this product. <laughs> is the uh, is the product available online only, or do we find it in stores here in the Pacific Northwest or California? Uh, we are in uh, about two hundred supermarkets across the country today, mostly in Northern California and uh, with some concentration around the Midwest, sort of Greater Chicago, if you like. Uh, and, and we are in some smaller natural organic chains in, in other parts too. But uh, for sure, the easiest way, depending on where you are, and probably up from from your part of the world, uh, the easiest way to buy is to go to Amazon. <laughs> uh, you find, yeah. And I mean, if you're in Seattle, I, you all go to Amazon, right? Well, you know, yeah. you know, we try to follow, but you know, be independent as well. But no cool. That's right. Hey, it's goodideadrinks.com, and uh, it's been a real pleasure. Bjorn Oste, the CEO and co-founder, and Dr. Ellen Osman. Hey, you've done some amazing work. Congratulations. I hope that this really helps uh, our first world problems of obesity and uh, pre-diabetes and things like that. Um, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you, all right, yes, uh, Happy New Year. Take care. We'll chat again. Uh, that was really fun, folks. We've got uh, um, a really fun product that actually works. And, uh, I, of course, I've got it as complimentary, but I would invest, uh, invite you to go check it out, goodideadrinks.com. It's pretty cool stuff, and uh, it'll help you from uh, making those poor decisions when you're snacking. Hey, folks, stick around. We have one final segment right here on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. The Commute with Carlson, live and local, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, time for our fourth and final segment, and I hope you're still happy. The, The New Year's got lots to hold. And behold, and um, for us who were perhaps a little bit naughty during Christmas, we might not have got some gifts. Or for those we may have missed, or perhaps someone who is super nice, um, here's a chance. And I'd like to do this in December, but uh, I realize it, it's hard to remember. And, you know, I probably have your attention now. And, and now you don't have the pressures of the holiday season upon you, um, except perhaps to make good on that gift that you or that intention that you'd hoped to uh, bestow. So, a couple of things we had over the course of uh, 2018 on uh, Happy Hour Radio. Um, I don't really like to hawk products, but I do like to share my impression of some of these products. And I've got a couple things here. Uh, the first I want to talk about is something I really loved. It was fantastic. It was delicious. It was convenient. It was um, uh, packed with protein. It was called Physique. F-I-Z-Z-I-Q-U-E. And uh, Physique is a protein sparkling water. That's right. It's got like 80 calories, 25 grams of protein or something crazy. And I drank mine already, so (laughs) I don't have the the cans here. Uh, But it came in flavors like kiwi lime. um, It's kind of like 7-Up. And all the drinks had that creamy vanilla protein scent or that faintness where you go, Mmm, this is kind of like a little sherbet or something with the kiwi lime and a little ice cream. It tasted really good. The fact that it was just purely uh, sparkling water, flavoring, and protein, I can't believe it was still clear. That was really fun for me to see. Like, 
you know, you're not looking at a shake. It's not something that's going to sort of fill you up. It's really, really refreshing. Physique, uh, physique protein water, um, so fun. Uh, the second one, of course, was what you just heard it was goodideadrinks.com. And I, I've, again, I've had this over the course of a few weeks. Uh, I've tasted as a refreshment, as a, a supplement, you know, if I'm feeling that crash. And, you know, it made my body feel better. I felt a little more alert, and I felt uh, like I could sustain myself more, and it wasn't feeling hungry. A lot of times when we're feeling hungry is actually we're thirsty, and uh, we just kind of go into this feeding mode because, uh, yeah, we got lots of food to eat and snacks and things like that. But uh, one of those uh, adages about drinking lots of water keeps you, your uh, organs fluid and your cells working and your body working at peak condition. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a little disappointed that, that we can't share that whole half gallon of water with everybody in the world. But uh, there are some fund funding going on to make clear water, clean water uh, around the world. So one of the goofy items I got, and I don't say goofy, but... Um, we have a lot of tailgaters here, and this one kind of surprised me. I came across my desk. It looks like a uh, kind of a camouflage pumpkin. Um, this is something called the Hungry Fan, the three-in-one fan gating bag. Now, if you are a big f- football person or a sports person, you like to, or a cookout person, this is going to have uh, keep your chili perfectly warm for hours. This is like a sleeping bag for your pot. Well, I mean your your uh, kettle. It's uh, it, it's a little awkward looking. Um, it's uh, it looks like a giant hat, like you know those old Russian hats if you put it on, but it has a lid. It has a uh, um, a drawstring which you can tighten it around it. So if you make chili, you make wings, you make beans, whatever, and you want to take it outside, you can put it in this, and it'll actually keep it warm. It's basically filled with lots of uh, uh, ins- uh insulin <laughs> insulation, and it's it looks like. You know, you don't care if it gets it dirty. It looks like it's got a waterproof or water-resistant fabric cover. It's got this cute little hat on it, so it looks like some something out of Star Wars. Uh, It's called Hungry Fan, a three-in-one fan gating. Slow cook your food without plug-ins, fire, or batteries. All right, keep your food and beverages hot and cold for hours. Or cold for hours and hot for hours. So uh, that's this one of the fun gifts I got. Um, it's HungryFan.com. You know, if you're seriously about tailgating, you probably already either made one of these or you need one of these. So check it out at HungryFan.com. And finally, uh, you heard us a couple weeks ago, David LeClaire and my friend Morrow, um, Gamarvi, who we were taste, tasting some concoctions I made with Drinkmate. This is the portable... Um, carbonation machine. It's like a little gun, I should say. It's like a big gun, but it has uh, no bullets and no darts, but it f- it has a little cartridge that you fill up with uh, basically water or juice or, uh, in my case, chocolate milk and vodka, and you can make it fizzy. <laughs> uh, read the instructions, as you may have heard. You may recall I was uh, bumbling and stumbling around with it, and it was... <laughs> popping and spilling all over the place. I'm sure that was user error, and uh, as an advanced small year, we don't get trained on that stuff, but uh, it uh, is Drinkmate. Uh, it's the own your spritzer. You can spritz anything, anywhere, on the go. It, it's uh, really cute, really cool, and um, I think it's be fun, because you know we made sparkling rosé when we had coral wines and using one of those uh, Drinkmate kind of things, but now I've got one to go anywhere. Keep it in the cars in case you need some CO2. Hey, folks, uh, I hope you enjoyed the 2018 season. I know the last few weeks we've had the best of shows. Got to celebrate the holidays, take some time off. Uh, um, Thank 
uh, thank for your blessings. And, of course, um, think about what you want to do in the new year. Anyway, I hope you listen in. I hope you tune in and you tell your friends. Remember, life is always better with a designated driver. And thanks for listening to Happy Hour Radio.